Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 35 of They Walk Among Us a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes, mature language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Southburn is a small rural hamlet in East Yorkshire. With less than two dozen homes, it is almost inevitable that locals get to know their neighbours well. Surrounded by scenic farmland, Southburn is occupied by quaint houses, located just over 20 miles from Hull and York. 30-year-old Shane Gilmer and his partner, 27-year-old Laura Sugden, had left Southburn for the evening. They had been out to enjoy a meal at celebrity chef Gino DeCampo's restaurant in Kingswood Hull on the evening of January 12, 2018. The couple took their time, shopping and visiting Laura's parents before travelling home. 
the pair were making the most of a child-free evening, as they would not have many in the coming year. Laura was a few months pregnant with the couple's first child. She had a three-year-old daughter from a previous relationship, but the young girl was with her father for the weekend. Shane also had two children from a prior relationship. As the pair pulled into the driveway of their semi-detached home, a light was shining through the window of their neighbour's kitchen. There were barely any streetlights in the area due to its remoteness, but Shane and Laura did not pay much attention as they walked towards their front door. They weren't exactly close to their neighbour, Tony Lawrence. In fact, they were terrified of him. In the approximately 18 months they had been living together at the house, they had had numerous issues with their next-door neighbour. Lawrence played music loudly late at night, and at one point when Shane had asked him to turn it down, Lawrence had threatened the couple with an axe. That said, Shane and Laura felt like they did not have to worry for long. Tony Lawrence had been served with an eviction notice following an inspection from the letting agency. There were reports of a strong smell of cannabis emanating through the partition wall the houses shared. Shane locked the door behind them, and Laura headed straight up the stairs to turn on the electric blanket in their bedroom and use the bathroom. As she got to the top of the stairs, she noticed a dark mark on the carpet. She had been the last to leave the house earlier that evening and could not understand where the stain had come from. It had not been there before. Glancing towards her daughter's bedroom on the right, she saw the silhouette of a man with a head torch on. He was pointing what Laura thought was a gun directly at her. The landing was dark. The intruder had removed the light bulb, but Laura knew who it was. Her neighbour, Tony Lawrence. As she demanded to know why Lawrence was in her house, he began to push her into the bedroom. Laura shouted out to Shane and warned him not to come up the stairs. But upon hearing his pregnant partner's terror, Shane raced upstairs to see what was wrong. Lawrence left the room, giving Laura just enough time to pull out her mobile phone from the pocket of her dress. She desperately dialed 999 before putting the device back into her pocket so Lawrence wouldn't see it. As she heard Shane reach the top of the stairs, he shouted, What the fuck is that? Before Laura heard the sound of him moaning. Shane was then dragged into the room by Lawrence, who was holding what Laura could now see was a crossbow. Shane had an arrow protruding from his right arm, pinning it to his abdomen. Laura shouted at Lawrence, asking if what he had done to Shane would kill him, and her neighbour smirked and said yes and that he was going to kill her too. Laura pleaded with Lawrence not to hurt them and to let her help Shane, who was pale and bleeding profusely. Lawrence instructed Shane to give him his mobile phone 
and after struggling, it was thrown on the floor. Lawrence smashed it with his foot. He began ranting and raving about how the couple had got him evicted from his house, blaming them instead of his own behaviour for the predicament he was in. When Laura tried to deny the accusation, Lawrence called her a lying bitch and told her that he had been listening to their conversations through the wall. She pleaded with him and said that they had children. She was pregnant. Lawrence mocked her and gestured with his hand as he said, blah, blah, fucking blah. He then aimed the crossbow at Laura's head and pulled the trigger. Lawrence left the room as blood began to pour down Laura's face. She was beginning to get dizzy, and she was jolted upright by Shane's screams. Shane was pale and crying. Laura somehow managed to pull the bolt from her head and threw it to the floor before scrambling towards her boyfriend. As she tried to hold Shane's hand, Lawrence came back into the room. Laura immediately lunged towards him, knocking Lawrence to the ground. He had another bolt in his hand and drove it into Laura's neck. Despite her injury, she was able to kick off her attacker and she tried to hold him down. She pleaded with Shane for help, but through tears he apologised and said he could not move. Shane screamed at Laura to run. She said that she couldn't leave him, and he told her, if you don't go and keep you and the baby safe, I'll never forgive you. Laura then ran towards the stairs and Shane called out, Be strong, I love you. The blood gushing from Laura's head wound made it difficult to see the locks on the back door, but after she managed to escape, she ran down the driveway for help. Laura heard a car drive past at speed. She presumed it was Lawrence coming after her. Zoe and Timothy Reimer lived 150 metres from Shane Gilmer and Laura Sugden. When they heard frantic knocking on their front door after 9pm, they initially thought there was a problem with their horses. Timothy opened the door and could not believe what he saw. Laura was covered in blood. The glass on the front door was also stained with blood from Laura's desperate attempt to get her neighbour's attention. The Rhymers thought she had possibly been in a car accident until she began screaming, You've got to get help for my partner. He's going to kill him. You've got to help me. So he helped Laura into the house while Timothy called for help. Laura told the Rhymers, I've been shot. She explained that it was her next-door neighbour. Zoe asked if he had a gun. Laura replied, No, 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 with an arrow. Zoe Rhymer could see a gaping wound on the left side of Laura's neck and tried her best to stem the blood flow. Laura desperately wanted to get back to help Shane. 
she was bleeding too much. After 9.30pm, another call came in to the 999 dispatch centre from Southburn. By then, Tony Lawrence had fled the scene. Shane Gilmer had managed to get downstairs, pulling himself into the living room to use the phone. He told the operator that he thought Lawrence had taken Laura and pleaded with them to find her quickly. Shane said, I can't move. I don't know how long I've been passed out for. There's blood everywhere. I can't believe this. He's trashed my phone. I tell you what he's done. He's climbed up into his loft and into ours. I need you to find my girlfriend. Fucking hell. I can't believe this is happening. I don't know where she is. I need you to get here and to find her. I love Laura. And I don't know where he's taken her. He's got a little blue car, a Vauxhall. I can't believe this has happened. I am in so much pain. My whole right side has gone numb. Jane Gilmer cried out in pain before telling the operator, We live in the middle of nowhere, but the longer we are leaving it, he could be doing anything to her. I am covered in blood. I can't move. I love her so much. I can't believe how much blood there is. We're having a scan for the baby to find out what it is. I need them to find her. I don't want them to help me. It's right in about ten inches into my body and it's ripped through my arm as well. I think I passed out from the pain and I've come around. There's blood everywhere. And I mean everywhere. Shane pulled his arm free. He was audibly petrified and in an enormous amount of pain, but his thoughts were fixed on his family. He told the operator that he felt like he was fading and he needed to tell his parents that he loved them. Shane said he had fallen out with them the week before, but he really loved them. He needed to say that he loved his children his daughters from his previous marriage. The operator promised she would detail what he said. Shane told her, Oh my God, I really, really wanted this baby. I really wanted it. After what felt like an eternity... Police officers finally entered the house through the back entrance as Shane could not unlock the front door. On the call, they could be heard consoling Shane when he called out, Help! My girlfriend is missing! Before an officer interrupted, Laura is all right. She is safe, buddy. The operator overhears Shane telling the officers that he's in a bad way that Lawrence had accessed the house through the loft. He did not know where Lawrence was now. Then the call was disconnected. The ambulance crew were ordered to wait for the police to clear the scene before paramedics could assist Shane. 
At this point, they did not know where Tony Lawrence was. Having heard from Shane that Lawrence had entered through their shared loft space, officers had to check the property before it was safe to proceed. They knew that the suspect had a crossbow, so they would not be able to hear any sounds to warn them if he began to shoot at the emergency responders. The armed response unit did not arrive in Southburn until 10.08pm, almost 50 minutes after Laura had made the first call from the bedroom. She had managed to shout out her location and what was happening. The second call from Laura was made at her neighbour's house, and then the call from Shane came in after 9.30pm. Firearms officers entered the property and began to search for the suspect. As Shane and Laura's home was cleared, officers explored Tony Lawrence's home next door. When an officer entered the loft space, he could see that a number of bricks had been removed from the partitioning wall, but Lawrence was not at the scene. Paramedics were allowed to approach the house, but they had to stay low to the ground in case Lawrence was hiding in the shadows. Shane Gilmer's injuries were treated in the living room. Emergency responders noticed the blood that had been smeared around the area leading from the stairs to the lounge, where Shane had dragged himself to the phone. His blood pressure was dangerously low, but somehow he was still conscious and talking. Due to the nature of his wounds, the paramedics believed it was too dangerous to lift him onto a stretcher in case the arrow went further into his abdomen. They used a scoop stretcher to minimise the movement of the bolt lodged in his body. The ambulance crew were given the all-clear to transport Shane to the hospital at 10.32pm, but the ambulance did not leave until 1043 Paramedics administered pain relief to Shane inside the ambulance as it raced towards Hull Royal Infirmary. His heart rate began to fall just minutes before they reached the hospital, and he became unresponsive. Upon arrival, Shane went into cardiac arrest, and doctors opened his chest in an emergency procedure to try and restart his heart. The patient was given 8 milligrams of adrenaline and 10 milligrams of calcium chloride, but it was too late. He had lost too much blood. Shane Gilmer was pronounced dead at around 12.15am. The crossbow bolt had passed through his right arm, breaking his rib and penetrating his kidney and liver before it was embedded in his spine. Shane suffered catastrophic blood loss as a result. Laura Sugden had been kept behind for a short time as her condition was not believed to be as serious. Paramedics did not want her to know that Shane's condition had deteriorated en route to the hospital. When she arrived for treatment, the wound to Laura's neck was so deep that the doctors told her they could see her larynx. Part of the metal tip of the bolt was still lodged in her head, 
Miraculously, both Laura Sugden and her unborn baby were in a stable condition. When the scene was cleared, investigators began to piece together the evidence inside the neighbouring properties. Forensic technicians mapped out the blood evidence in the ensuite and master bedroom, where Shane Gilmer remained leaning against the bed after being shot. Nora Sugden had been shot on the bed. She had then moved around to the far side where Shane was sitting before struggling with Tony Lawrence on the floor. After Laura had fled down the stairs and out of the back door, Lawrence climbed back into the loft towards his own home before leaving in his car. The police subsequently found a listening device fixed to his living room wall inside Lawrence's property, confirming that he had indeed been listening to the couple's conversations for some time. On the kitchen table there were bolts that Lawrence had evidently modified, which made them even more lethal than they would have been. Three crossbows were also found in the property. One of them had a laser or red dot sight attached, meaning Lawrence would have had precision aiming when he fired the weapon. As Laura Sugden was recovering in the hospital and coming to terms with the horrific loss of the man she loved, the police were desperately searching for Tony Lawrence, who had managed to flee the scene without being caught. Anthony Lawrence, as he was formerly known, was described as being 5 feet 10 inches tall, with balding short dark hair and a stocky build. Humberside Police Chief Inspector Andy Parsons publicly appealed to the fugitive, saying, Anthony, it's vital that we speak to you about this incident as soon as possible, and I would urge you to go straight to your nearest police station so that we can do this. The village of Southburn was locked down while search teams scoured the surrounding woodland. The weapons had been recovered at the scene, but the police still warn the public not to approach Lawrence. Chief Inspector Parsons said, At this point it is believed that this was an isolated incident and there is no threat to the wider public. However, if you believe you have seen Anthony Lawrence or have any information about his whereabouts, please don't approach him yourself. Locals were in shock. Detective Chief Superintendent Judy Heaton tried to reassure the community that the police were doing their best to find the man suspected of the murder of Shane Gilmer and the attempted murder of Laura Sugden. We have recovered a car that's linked to Mr Lawrence. It's a blue Vauxhall Mervira, and that's been examined by our forensic team. We still have police teams in the Southburn area, and they will be remaining in that area for the next few days both as part of the investigation, but importantly to provide reassurance to the people living and working there. 
As we've said, we don't believe that Mr Lawrence is a threat to the wider public. We don't know how he will react if challenged, however, so please don't approach him. Just call 999 and leave it to us. Investigators established that Tony Lawrence had hired a motorhome on January 8th that had been fitted with a tracking device. Lawrence had been living in the motorhome in the days before the attack, but returned to his home on January 11th. The police were able to pinpoint the last known location of the motorhome to an area along the A170 in North Yorkshire. Information given to the detectives suggested that Lawrence had mentioned that he was moving to Thailand. Lawrence had disconnected his mobile phone on January 12th, the day of the attack, so the detectives could not track his location using data from his network provider. But they did discover the motorhome. Police surrounded the motor vehicle on the morning of January 14th. It was parked on a lay-by at Red Brow in Langdale End near the North Yorkshire Moors. After seeing no movement inside and hearing no response to their commands, officers entered the camper. They found Tony Lawrence dead inside. He had taken an overdose of tramadol. Detective Superintendent Julian Gibbs, one of the investigating officers, believed that Lawrence had left the scene of the attack and immediately travelled to Driffield, where his Vauxhall had been recovered. Here Lawrence got into the motorhome and drove to East Leighton before parking in the lay-by and taking the overdose. Tony Lawrence's clothes were sent for analysis. DNA samples taken from bloodstains on his shirt, trousers and Crocs footwear were subsequently matched with the blood from his victims, Shane Gilmer and Laura Sugden. After being released from the hospital... Laura Sugden spoke with a reporter for Driffield and Wolds Weekly. Addressing the difficulty of accepting what happened, she said, I was terrified. But in a situation like that, there is only one of two outcomes. You do what you have to do. I would never normally attempt to fight a man. But when you think you are going to die, you have to do what it takes. Shane was amazing. Nobody had a bad word to say about him, and he would do anything for anyone and helped a lot of people. I miss him terribly. We were planning to get married and have more children. He was amazing with my daughter Isabel and spoke about her as if she was his own. Laura Sugden had lived at the home where the attack took place for three and a half years. Shane had moved in with her a year and a half later. Speaking about Lawrence, Laura said that she never had any significant issues with him as a neighbour during the first couple of years she lived there. But in an ominous incident of foreshadowing, 
Lawrence had threatened the couple's lives precisely one year before he tried to kill them both. On January 13, 2017, after numerous occasions of Tony Lawrence playing music too loudly late at night, Shane went over to ask him to turn it down. Laura spoke about that night, saying, Shane knocked on the front window and was told to go around the back. I heard a commotion and when I went outside, Tony came out with an axe and said he was going to kill us. Tony didn't leave his garden and we went back into our property. I didn't know if he might have taken something because it was an irrational reaction and although we reported it to the police, we did not take any further action. After letting it go, Things were fine for a time, but Laura noticed a strong smell of cannabis coming from a cupboard in her daughter's bedroom. The smell started to make her daughter cough. She already suffered from asthma, but the smell made her condition worse. Understandably, Laura did not want to approach her neighbour again after the way Lawrence had reacted in the past so she spoke to the letting agent who said they would be carrying out an inspection. Afterwards, Laura was told that the smell was a breach of tenancy. Within a week, Tony Lawrence was issued with an eviction notice. Laura was assured that he would not be told it was her who had reported it. Not long after, Laura and Shane found horse manure dumped in their front garden but they could not be sure it was Lawrence who had put it there. It was something they ultimately could not do much about. They could never have imagined Tony Lawrence would go to the lengths he did as an act of vengeance. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Air. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? 
That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Shane Gilmer worked as a housing manager for East Riding of Yorkshire Council. It was here that he had met Laura Sugden and fell in love. Following Shane's murder, the council chief executive Caroline Lacey said, Shane was an extremely popular and well-respected member of staff. He joined the authority in 2005 as a trainee, but his ambition and hard work soon led to a promotion to work as an assisting housing officer most recently he worked as a housing management officer and senior housing policy and development officer. Working in housing meant Shane was able to assist people who were homeless, who were in need of accommodation to move into their own homes, and he dedicated many hours to helping those worse off than himself. Many of the people he helped have since expressed their appreciation for what he did for them. He worked with many people across a wide range of services in his time at the council, and his death has shocked many colleagues who held him in the highest regard. Fifty-six-year-old Tony Lawrence was the only suspect in the attack. When he was found dead on January 14, 2018, The only way the facts of the case could be publicly examined was through a coroner's inquest. A coroner is an independent judicial officer appointed by the local authority. It is their role to investigate the causes of deaths. An inquest is a legal inquiry into the cause and circumstances of a death through a fact-finding hearing with oral and written evidence presented. In certain circumstances, the coroner has to summon a jury to hear an inquest case, such as when the only suspect has died, and there cannot be any criminal proceedings. In December 2019, a pre-inquest hearing was held for Shane Gilmer and Laura Sugden's representatives to meet with the coroner and discuss the inquest. At this point, it was decided which witnesses would be called to give evidence and how long the inquest would take. Shane Gilmer's family asked for the 999 calls he had made to report Lawrence's behaviour the year before his death 
to be presented. Still, police representatives argued that the calls were not relevant. The family's representative said, It is not that we say that they go to the causation of death, but they may be linked and we would like to explore these matters for other reasons. Professor Paul Marks, who would be presiding over the inquest, would decide if the calls could be presented. The inquest into Shane Gilmer's death began on April 12, 2021. Coroner Professor Marks began by telling the hearing about the history between Tony Lawrence and the couple he tried to kill. After outlining the tumultuous relationship between the neighbours, the coroner spoke about the night of the attack. The first witness was Dr Matthew Lyle, the Home Office forensic pathologist. Dr Lyle said that Shane had been monitored en route to the hospital, but he had deteriorated by the time he arrived. The doctor said emergency steps were taken to treat him, they were unsuccessful. Shane's main injuries were caused by a crossbow bolt that passed through his right forearm and into his lower chest. Dr Lyle explained that it was discovered at the post-mortem that Shane had an abnormally enlarged heart, which did not contribute to his death, but could have made him more vulnerable to the adverse effects of blood loss. Shane Gilmer's mother spoke about her son's childhood and the type of person he was. He was able to walk before he was age one and he had a favourite trick of running into the kitchen, opening the fridge and throwing all the eggs on the floor. Shane was a fantastic big brother. He used to love helping his dad in the garage and had his own little toolbox. Shane also enjoyed helping people from a young age and would often help the neighbours with their gardens. Shane's mother told the inquest that her son left school during sixth form and got an apprenticeship with the council. He began working with the East Riding of Yorkshire Council during 2005 in the borough of Beverley. Shane met the mother of his first children in 2006 and continued to be an active parent after the relationship ended. He met Laura Sugden in 2016 and moved into her house in Southburn a short time later. Shane's mother said, Our lives will never be the same again. We have been totally overwhelmed with how many people have been in touch with us. A district nurse got in touch to say Shane always went above and beyond. He was a talented officer who was kind, caring and helpful with everyone. His manager said he saw great potential and saw him achieving great things. But now he will not have this opportunity. Laura Sugden gave evidence next. The coroner asked her to confirm that she had lived in Southburn from 2014 and Tony Lawrence had been her neighbour that entire time. She agreed. 
She was then asked if Lawrence was friendly or talkative and was questioned about his behaviour. Laura said that Lawrence was not overly chatty or overly friendly, but he had asked if they were paying the same rent as him. Their conversations never ran much deeper. She explained that he rarely left the property and she had felt sorry for him, quote, rattling around there on his own. Laura spoke about the night Lawrence had threatened her and Shane with an axe and said that Lawrence had also accused her of messing with his television aerial. Laura described to the coroner how she was suspicious that Lawrence was growing cannabis in his house. She said following an inspection by the letting agent, they called over to her house and explained their experience inside the property. Laura told the inquest, When she came to me, she was really shaking and looked really unsettled. And she explained to me that she thought he was really odd and thought there had been something in the property. She thought the smell was worse in my daughter's bedroom. She explained the whole inspection to me. She said at one point he asked if she wanted to stay for tea. Afterwards, Laura Sugden bravely described in detail the night her partner, Shane Gilmer, was killed. She spoke about having an eerie feeling that Lawrence was in the house when she saw the mark on the landing floor and how Shane ran up the stairs when he heard her say, What are you doing in my house, Tony? Laura described hurriedly calling for help when Lawrence left the room to meet Shane at the top of the stairs and how Shane had tears running down his face when he could not help her fight Lawrence off. After Laura Sugden's emotional testimony ended, her neighbours Zoe and Timothy Reimer gave evidence next. Zoe Reimer told the inquest, I heard a very frantic knocking on the front door. This was at 9pm. I said to Tim that sounds bad and asked him to go in front of me in the hallway. He went into the hall and I saw a girl absolutely covered in blood. I saw she was covered in blood from the top of her head and all over her upper body. She looked like she was trying to get help and get our attention. We brought her into the house. She had blood matted in her hair all over her face and hands. She stood in front of me and I put my hands on her upper arms as I was afraid she might collapse from all the blood coming from her. She said repeatedly, he's going to kill me. You've got to get help. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill my partner. You've got to get help. Zoe Reimer spoke about trying to help Laura after she was inside their house. The witness stated, I saw a gaping hole in the left side of her neck. I said, Laura, you've got a nasty cut and I need to stop the bleeding. I went and got what padding I could find. I tried to keep her conscious and talking. She kept insisting that we had to send the ambulance round to her house first. I said the police and ambulance were on their way. 
She said the neighbour was going to kill Shane. Zoe Reimer went on to describe Tony Lawrence as a bit of a loner and said she did not see him often. Timothy Reimer told the inquest that he could not believe the amount of blood when he opened the front door and saw Laura Sugden. He described the shirt she was wearing as having white sleeves, but the rest had been stained red with blood. Timothy Reimer said that it took about 10 minutes for them to stem the blood flow from the neck wound, and at one point Laura had asked if she was going to die. The second day of the inquest began with the transcripts of Shane Gilmer and Laura Sugden's 999 calls being read out. Evidence was then given by the emergency service workers in response to the claims by Shane and Laura's legal representatives that it had taken too long for Shane to receive treatment. Alex Windsor, the clinical supervisor for the Hull Ambulance Service, said that he had arrived at the property in a double ambulance at 9.48pm, but it was deemed unsafe for him to go inside the house. Windsor took cover inside the vehicle until he was given the all-clear to enter. Those present at the inquest were told that it was too dangerous for the paramedics to set foot in the house, as there had not been clear information given that Tony Lawrence had left the scene. Barrister Eleanor Fry, who was representing Shane Gilmer's family, asked the Deputy Medical Director of the Yorkshire Ambulance Service if the relevant information had been passed to the police. Dr Dykes replied that they could not write everything down, but he believed the information was correct and that there would have been no difference to the outcome in Shane Gilmer's case if the paramedics had been able to get him out sooner. The family's barrister also asked about the ambulance that had been dispatched in response to Shane Gilmer's 999 call. It had been sent to attend Laura Sugden despite Shane Gilmer saying on his call that he felt like he was going to die. Further evidence would also be heard from Dr Fiona Moore, a consultant in emergency medicine at Hull Royal Infirmary. She spoke about the steps taken to try and save Shane Gilmer's life. Dr Moore said that if he had been brought to the hospital sooner, his chances of survival would have improved, but she could not say for sure that he would have survived. The inquest jury were presented with evidence of the previous incidents between Tony Lawrence and Shane Gilmer before the murder. A police presentation included photographs taken inside Shane and Laura's home and Tony Lawrence's home. Detective Sergeant Julian Gibbs showed the inquest jury images of the hole in the loft where Lawrence had removed bricks and gained access to the adjoining property. D.S. Gibbs said, Tony Lawrence was solely responsible for the death of Shane Gilmer. It was also his intention to kill Laura. 
The reality is that Tony Lawrence fled from the scene as a result of Laura managing to escape the address. Had Tony Lawrence been alive, he would have been charged with the murder of Shane Gilmer and the attempted murder of Laura Sugden. The inquest jury also saw images of the crossbow and bolts used in the attack and Lawrence's kitchen table where he had modified the weapons. The first officer to respond to the scene also gave evidence. PC Amanda Wright said, We were incredibly vulnerable and had no idea where the suspect was. We kept as low as we could and tried to use a hedge as some sort of cover. We still didn't know the location of the suspect and we were very anxious when we went in. I remember asking Shane what happened and he replied, It was Tony. He came in through the loft. It was subsequently discovered that Tony Lawrence had asked his sister to take care of his dog and told her he was moving to Thailand. However, the authorities found no evidence that he had planned to go through with his claim. After being presented with the facts of the case, the coroner told the inquest jury, You have heard a great deal of evidence. The evidence included that of witnesses from the stand, statements of witnesses that were read and other documentary evidence, photos, maps and transcripts of telephone conversations with emergency services. It is your view of the evidence that matters. The jury were given instructions on how they should complete the record of inquest. They were required to list the medical cause of death as crossbow bolt wounds to the torso and arm, but jurors had to determine how Shane Gilmer came to die. The inquest jury returned with a unanimous conclusion of an unlawful killing. Coroner Professor Marks thanked jurors for their service and spoke about writing a report regarding the dangers of crossbows and how they could be purchased by anyone over the age of 18. The coroner said, I am most concerned and this has been confirmed by police witnesses, that crossbows of this nature and danger can be brought in an unregulated fashion by anyone over the age of 18, and aren't controlled the shotguns are. Following the conclusion of the inquest, Laura Sugden spoke with a reporter for The Mirror. She had given birth to a little girl seven months after Shane's death and said that her daughter's birth had healed her heart. 
Laura still believes that her partner may have survived if the ambulance staff had not been delayed when they arrived at the house. Speaking about Tony Lawrence's suicide and the lack of justice as a result, Laura said that she wished she had killed him herself. Laura addressed the media outside of Hull Coroner's Court. Shane was a loving partner, wonderful dad and stepdad. He's missed every day by me and the rest of his family. It was clear from his final words how much he loved us all, and I hope he knew how much we loved him. Shane was murdered in the most cruel and terrifying way. It is unbelievable that the sale and ownership of such a lethal medieval weapon remains unregulated in our modern society. There are no laws in place to help prevent crossbows from falling into the hands of twisted and dangerous individuals like Tony Lawrence. This lethal weapon has been forgotten about in the government's strategy on tackling gun and knife crime. That's why today, in loving memory of Shane and to honour our beautiful daughter that he never got to meet, I am launching a campaign to call for legislation governing crossbows to be brought in line with firearm laws. Over the coming weeks, I will be speaking with MPs and the Home Secretary to see what can be done to reform crossbow laws. I'd like to thank my family, friends and legal team for their unwavering support through such a truly harrowing experience. Despite the rising number of incidents involving the use of a crossbow, they are still not restricted weapons. In his Prevention of Future Death report produced for the Home Secretary and Minister of State for Crime and Policing, Coroner Professor Paul Marks wrote about the difference between firearms and crossbows. The lack of regulation and record of ownership, as no such provision applies to crossbows. Professor Marks wrote, The Crossbows Act 1987 was amended controls the possession of crossbows by persons under 18 years throughout the United Kingdom. Once sold, there is no ongoing control, record or licensing requirement for these weapons. Unlike those in place for firearms and shotguns, pursuant to the Firearms Act 1968 as amended, the police have no record of who owns crossbows, how they are stored, the number that are in circulation in the community and so forth. Yet evidence was heard about the power and lethal capabilities of these weapons, as well as the fact that they are essentially silent. Over the last few years, there have been some high-profile incidents and killings that have involved the use of these weapons, and the present case is, unfortunately, another example. In my opinion, you should consider a review of existing legislation including the Crossbows Act 1987 and the Offensive Weapons Act 2019, with the intention of regulating the sale and possession of these lethal weapons, which can currently be purchased over the counter or via the internet by any person over the age of 18 years.
Currently, they are not subject to any form of license or certificate or requirement for their sale and possession to be recorded and details held by the police, as is the case with shotguns and sporting rifles. I believe that you and your department have the power to take such action. An investigation carried out by solicitor Gemma Vine from Ice and Harrison's representing Laura Sugden found that over 60 incidents involving crossbows were reported online. However, the Home Secretary had stated in her response to the coroner's report that these types of incidents were very rare and that the vast majority of those people using crossbows do so safely and responsibly. The response was disheartening to Laura Sugden, who campaigned for legislation to restrict the sale of crossbows following Shane's death. Speaking about crossbows, Laura Sugden solicitor Gemma Vine said, They are powerful and life-endangering weapons that ought to require the same checks and licenses as gun owners. In contrast, the Firearms Act 1968 requires those wishing to purchase a firearm or ammunition to be assessed by the police and also restricts ownership in certain circumstances. These checks mean that members of the public are protected from potential misuse. Yet we do not know how many crossbows there are in circulation in the UK or in what circumstances they are held. Something must be done to help stop such horrific attacks and deaths. So where are we now? On December 25th, 2021... A 19-year-old male armed with a crossbow was arrested at Windsor Castle when he threatened to assassinate the Queen. Days later, a spokesperson for Home Secretary Priti Patel stated that, quote, At the Home Secretary's request, we are considering options to strengthen controls on crossbows. Work on this has been ongoing throughout the year, and we keep all relevant laws under review to maintain public safety. The suspect was detained under the Mental Health Act, but the sudden review came as bittersweet news to Laura Sugden. She said, I am delighted to hear Pretty Patel is going to review the current rules. I'm just saddened that Shane's death and everyone else before and after were not enough for her to look into it. It is disheartening to think your family member didn't matter. An inquest into Tony Lawrence's death has not yet taken place at the time of recording this episode, but it was made clear by the investigating officers that Lawrence had acted alone and had not disclosed his intentions to any family members before he killed Shane Gilmer, attempted to kill Laura Sugden, and then took his own life.
Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Kerry Buchanan, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.